The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Ren Fazuski. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. It might as well be us. So today, we're going to be talking about a pretty broad topic. Yeah. What is disability? And um, to explore that topic, we have in the studio with us today um, our wonderful um, colleague, Mr. Robert Gray. And he will help us explore what disability is, maybe some different definitions, um, what it means to even have a disability. Yeah, a little and, bit of disability uh, etiquette. A little bit of etiquette. So, um, but before that, let's jump into disability in the news. According to Disability Scoop, a new report found that there are more characters with disabilities set to appear on primetime television this season than ever before, though representation still falls far short of mirroring reality. Among the 879 regular characters expected on broadcast programming during the 2019-2020 season, 3.1% or 27 characters have disabilities. The numbers come from an analysis released this month from GLAAD, a media advocacy organization for the gay and lesbian community. The percentage of characters with disabilities is the highest found in the decade that GLAAD has tracked disability representation on television, and it's a full percentage point above the 2.1% recorded last year. Find out more at disabilityscoop.com. We are hopping into our main topic today, which is what is a disability? Sitting here with uh, DLCV staff Robert Gray and waiting to find out what is a disability. Mm. Hi, Robert. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? I'm well. You all doing all right? We're doing all right. Good. Are you excited to educate us? Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? To understand a disability, you first have to understand the law that kind of embraces and defines what disability is. Laws? I don't know what the Disability Law Center would have anything to do with laws. Yeah, we stuck that word law in there just to kind of fill it in and make it make sense. Um, But there is a law called the Americans with Disabilities Act, and it is federal law which uh, defines what disability is. And it defines disability as a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. And that's a lot of words. That's a lot of words, a lot of long, complicated words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in order to kind of get past those words, what we do is we embrace people who define themselves as having a disability and serve that population based upon the information we receive from them. And so in order to assist people, we have a number of different ways to do it. Okay. So it sounds like we really do try to focus on this sort of person-centeredness of disability. You know, if if people define themselves as disabled, they can call us and, and talk to us about their situation without us having giant hoops for them to jump through before they can talk to somebody. That's exactly right, um, because you think of somebody, they may have an injury, for example, say they hurt their leg, and, oh, I just you know sprained my knee, and that's just an injury. Oh, it's not a disability, but what if that sprain leads to something more chronic, and all of a sudden they realize mm-hmm. for the rest of their life they develop a gait, and then they find themselves using a cane. They find themselves with some type of a physical problem, and boom, they all of a sudden have a disability and might not even realize it. So along that line, um, what 
types of disability could there be? Sure. We kind of mentioned the, the chronic injury that leads to mobility issues. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way to sort of categorize disabilities? You can. Um, generally, you know, you have people with physical issues, so um, they might find themselves in a situation where they're possibly an amputee. Maybe they're missing uh, a limb, and so they're using some type of equipment uh, like a wheelchair or some other device in order to move and, and what we call sometimes ambulate, that means to move. Um, also, you've got people with issues when it comes to their mental health. Mm-hmm. They might have some concerns, and a lot of those types of disabilities are hidden and you don't necessarily see them. And it's easy to, these folks become lost in the weeds sometimes yeah, because right. we don't realize you know, that they're also having some concerns and issues and we can take that for granted. Is there a way that uh, Disability Law Center as a PNA sort of figures out who to help when or where we can go, what kind of people we can assist? Yeah, we, we kind of do the best we can to streamline those processes. And so what we do is we have what's called a, um, a system where we have an information referral specialist who is available to take requests that mm-hmm. come in from the public. And that individual is kind of our, our hub, if you will, to talk with anyone that might have a problem. Um, and they can reach out to us uh, through a phone call, through an email, or through any other means of communication that's effective and works for them. And like you said earlier, again, like you don't have to jump through any hoops to make that make that call. Right. Go ahead and call us. Yeah, and we there are a lot of circumstances, and I think you would definitely agree, where the person calling isn't necessarily the person with the disability. Um, people call us all the time to alert us to situations, um, to ask for information. And just the, the thing to keep in mind there is that for DLCV, the person who has the disability is always going to be um, the priority, is always going to be the person that we're working for. Absolutely. Hit the nail on the head, Virginia, because uh, we have to understand that we have to are a client-centered agency and client-directed, um, and we give the power of the person who's making the complaint or, or to expressing the issue the, the most power when it comes to explaining what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily, it's never about what another party's interests may be. It's about what is best for that individual and no one knows that better than the person who's making the complaint. Yeah. So there's all types of disabilities. Obviously we've mentioned some physical disabilities. I'm also thinking, you know, blindness, deafness, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things count. We've talked about mental health and mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, um, there's other neurological disabilities like mm-hmm. developmental disabilities, sure. um, traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. traumatic brain injury. So there's all sorts of things that could be affecting people. Why does that even matter? Right, because uh, a lot of the systems that are in place to support people with disabilities are very weak and or they're inconsistent. And a good example of that would be um, our, our system in Virginia of our Medicaid waivers where they're designed to meet the certain needs of the developmental disability population. And yet you've got a whole massive group of other people with all kinds of different disabilities that have no waiver programs to support them. Mm -hmm. So Medicaid uh, money is spent on one population and unfortunately is not there to support many of the other populations. So that sounds like healthcare could be a big issue. Um, for people with disabilities. Oh yeah, and it could be health care when it comes to benefits, or it also could be health care when it comes to access. If a person's trying to like get into a medical office yeah. or trying to find a way to receive um, very important pre-op 
pre-operation instructions about a procedure and they need it in a specific format yeah. and they don't get it that way and the doctor hands them a piece of paper they can't read because they're visually impaired, you're completely destroying their ability to receive the exact same service that anyone else would receive. And that's not exclusive to medical care either. I mean, accessibility in all venues is, you know, something that people, especially with mobility impairments or vision impairments, um, just have to deal with every day. That's exactly right. I mean, we could, we could go across the street right now, right across the street from our office to the Kroger, and uh, we might walk into that building and say there was a broken door mm -hmm. and it would only open um, 30 inches, um, you know, and then that's not, that's not wide enough for any wheelchair, mm -hmm. most wheelchairs to fit through. And so then you created a barrier to service. And those are the types of things that, uh, you know, we have to be mindful of because there's barriers out there every day. And all of, all of them are out there, but many of them are not as obvious as we would think. I know that um, we, we've, had, we've had past cases. I was just thinking about the medical appointments um, where uh, people who are deaf go to get medical appointments or any other service, whether they're, you know, seeking out, um, I'm, I, you know, like I'm not even thinking just a restaurant, but some sort of service that they're mm -hmm. trying to obtain, and uh, they don't have an interpreter. Mm -hmm. You know, if they use sign language as their, their primary method of communication and they're trying to get a medical appointment and the office doesn't provide uh, an interpreter for them, mm -hmm. um, that can be a huge barrier not only to getting even good medical service or good service, but even obtaining it in the first place, they might just be like, nope, clearly this isn't working out. I'm just going to put off whatever I need to put off. And that's the beautiful thing about the ADA is that it gives all kinds of protections. The Americans with Disabilities Act allows people to receive the information they receive they need to receive in a way that they can understand it, and the way that it is absolutely clean and clearly, it's in, it's it's plainly in front of them, just like it would be for anyone else who might be sighted or could hear or had any type of other issue when mm -hmm. it came to sensory or physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, communication doesn't just extend to having a conversation in real time. That's also going to extend to um, written materials like um, mm -hmm. stuff in Braille for people with vision impairments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, other areas where disability can make an mm -hmm. impact or impact someone's life. Um, what about um, education? Yeah, education is a great example. Um, as you know, children, when they're in school, they, they have to be served, again, equally just as if anyone else if they have a disability, regardless of what issues and concerns they may have with their um, barriers to education. So they might need things like assistive technology, um, devices that they could use in order to be successful at school. Um, they might need such something called like a closed caption television, for example, that could actually have the words up for what the mm -hmm. teacher is, is presenting to the class. Um, children in school might also have problems when it comes to being failed for, for behavioral outbursts. And those behavioral outbursts may be related to their disability. This is something we find very, is a very frequent problem at DLCV. Yeah. We get that call all the time. And so how can these children be accommodated? Do they need things to relieve stress, like a stress ball, a room they can go to to de-escalate? Yeah. So yeah, we see these things all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine sort of as that person with the disability ages that extending into work, the workplace, mm. having a disability in the workplace. Um, 
Yeah, which I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak on because uh, a lot of what you do. Uh, so you got me excited there, Virginia, because this is, <laughs> this, is, this is work that, that I have some oversight over here. Um, we we um, find that these things absolutely bleed over. And so what you'll have is just someone who needed a communication board in high school, you know, may, you know, they don't all of a sudden regain their speech in most cases when they start to go out into the world and try to find a job. So they still need that communication board, and they still need to be allowed to use it on the job site. Yeah. Um, they need accommodations. They, they might be able to lift something just fine if they have a specific supportive device, a brace on their back. Or they might have to have a grabber in their hand in order to reach something from a higher ch- And that's okay. They don't always have to perform the task in the same way as everyone else. Yeah. But they do have to be. Uh, they do need to be able to perform the essential functions of that job. Yeah. And that's why there are agencies out there, Virginia and Wren, like <laughs> the Department for <laughs> Aging and Rehabilitative Services and Department for Blind and Vision Impaired. And those are rehabilitation services providers. Yeah. So. And, yeah. and Robert, I think we're going to have you back on a later episode to talk a little bit more about. Uh, workspace and disability mm-hmm. um, because I know that there are going to be we'll do a deeper dive yeah a deeper dive down the way there, it, it matters a lot to a lot of people and mm-hmm. just there's so much more to well, it I was we just thinking even mm-hmm. even with workplace accommodations the one that you're mentioning the ones that you've mentioned I think you know not that you know these are almost like obvious and yeah. that like they're pretty you know you know using a communication board using a grabber but so many folks deal with more chronic ailments mm-hmm. and using um you know stand-up desks ergonomic mm-hmm. devices mm-hmm. can be considered a workplace accommodation because that can cause flares up in you know if there's some sort of chronic pain issue or things like that yeah. and those are absolutely part of that discussion it's a really good point you know we, we receive calls a lot of times about allergies mm-hmm. and people who uh, there's someone in the workplace who maybe is wearing a strong cologne or perfume and you know everyone around them might be their co-workers might actually be making light of them and making fun of them because they're they're complaining about the mm-hmm. smell but in, inside of their head they're having a, a pounding headache from the al- the allergy and the effect of the allergy so um, it's very easy to to overlook these very specific accommodations based on a person's needs okay yeah and again it, it sounds like disability can really impact life in a a bunch of different ways. It's true, and a lot of what we do um, at our office, we, we do provide case services, as you know, and but um, a lot of what we do is information and referral, too. So folks that come to us, um, they might have an issue or concern, but we empower people by making sure they understand they can be their own best advocate. Yeah. And, and the, you know, we're, we're a great resource, but we come and we go. Mm-hmm. And they need to understand that at the end of the day, how can they be empowered to resolve their conflict or their issue themselves and with their, of course, their network of support from their friends and family. Yeah, we really operate on a pretty strong, if you teach a man to fish, uh, (laughs) kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, what you guys are talking about with um, the types of services we provide, um, DLCV operates under uh, several federal grants, Mm -hmm. um, and those grants are... um, the work that we do is sometimes determined on what the services that we're actually providing are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's dependent on what the issue it is. 
and sometimes it has more to do with the type of disability itself. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Virginia, that, that's where it gets a little bit complicated for us because yeah. we have a, a bunch of federal partners that will, will allow us to receive this money, but like you said, it's in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. We touched on a couple of them earlier when we talked about, you mentioned traumatic brain injury. Um, traumatic brain, brain injury is a perfect example. A traumatic brain injury is a force or a blow to the head um, caused by an external force that causes an individual to um, have what's known as a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, we have a grant, and it's very small, but it allows us to assist with people who are, who are ha individuals who have traumatic brain injury and are facing an issue or a problem. Whereas someone might also have an acquired brain injury. Mm -hmm. They might have a brain injury that came as a result of a closed injury, such as a stroke and that would put them in a different category, and so we would have to find some other way to serve them. So we do have some other programs. Yeah. Would, you, would you like for me to talk a little bit about those programs? I th yeah, I think that that would be excellent. So we also have a program, we talk about traumatic brain injury. So that's an mm -hmm. example of a program that is specific to a disability. Um, other programs that are specific to a disability would be our developmental disabilities program mm -hmm. or DD program, and that involves people who are facing, you know, if you think of someone with a developmental disability, a lot of times when I have this conversation with people, they go to an extreme. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, you're talking about folks in group homes. Mm -hmm. And that's not always what a person with a developmental disability is. Yeah. A person with a developmental disability might be the person who uh, is, is in a wheelchair because they had major surgery to their ankle and all of a sudden they're unable to function here. And oh, by the way, also they have an issue with continence. Yeah. Where they're, and then oh, oh, but you know, also there's a problem with their economic uh, uh, status, and they yeah. they have to rely upon things like public benefits. Yeah, and all of this came about before they turned 22 years old. It, exactly, and then all of a sudden we have three functional limitations, and so yeah. these folks find themselves in this specific category. Um, it is an it is a great broad category where mm -hmm. we're able to serve a lot of different people, but it really does require, like you said, that diagnosis before age 22. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I suppose to an extent what we're saying is like, grants are weird, be patient with us if you're on the phone with us. Yeah. But also, I mean, it, it is a little strange that we have to put these, um, that we have to put disabilities into boxes mm -hmm. like this. It's sort of a necessary evil just to be able to get the funding to serve people. We recognize that there is like a world of difference between the challenges that people with cerebral palsy face versus mm -hmm. the people the challenges that people with autism face and yet that's sort of under one umbrella under this DD grant. And I think what's important is that even though the grant might have those definitions, like the money is there. So mm -hmm. like again, it's 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 what we're able to we'll be able to help with any specific issue that we're able to help with you know, whatever the definitions are aren't as important as long as, you know, we're able to really figure out what the issue is and what we'd be yeah. able to assist with. It's perfect, Ren. Yeah, you don't have to come into our office or call us on the phone and say, I'm calling to apply for your DD program <laughs> or yeah. your developmental yeah. disabilities program. Just call in and we'll figure all that stuff out, okay? <laughs> uh, and I, I think part of this kind of, I'm going to segue a little bit again mm -hmm. with this idea of like defining disability mm -hmm. is that um, there is, you know, it's really important to be mindful of disability etiquette. So mm -hmm. when you're speaking with people with disabilities or about people with disabilities, it's it's good to be uh, good to be aware of mm -hmm. sort of what this etiquette is mm -hmm. because kind of like we brushed yeah. on, some people with disabilities don't want to be 
put in specific boxes. You know, they define yeah. themselves as, you know, they define themselves a certain way and it's important to be really respectful of how of their own definitions of their of what they do with. Absolutely. You know, one of our other grants, the assistive technology grant that allows assistive technology is any any piece of equipment mm-hmm. that could be modified off the shelf, but it's used to help a person with a disability overcome a problem. And so um, assistive technology is a perfect example of uh, it is an extension of a person. And so therefore, mm-hmm. if you have appropriate disability etiquette, then you understand that you're not going to touch their devices. You're not going to touch their wheelchair. Yeah. You're not going to touch their cane. You're not going to touch anything that is a part of them because it is literally just like their right hand. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's that's a great example of disability etiquette. You know, some other exa- examples might be um, sometimes we have a bad problem of referring to people with old, dated uh, terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, oh, boy. We right. Do. And, oh, and, boy. <laughs> and 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 in Virginia, you know, individuals uh, who used to receive a, a waiver years ago, they used to call it the um, mental retardation waiver. Yeah. And I hate even saying the words because that yeah. that is that is no longer spoken. And whenever anyone tries to go there, I immediately cut them off. Um, but you know, these are individuals with the intellectual disabilities, mm-hmm. not individuals with that that other word. I won't say again. Um, I've definitely, in in my past, when I was doing um, more field work um, as a clinician, you could kind of tell that sort of line with people who had been in the field for quite some time versus new new providers, (laughs) because you would get that a lot, using this old terminology and having to... You know, still within your job, be like, well, that's not the term we use anymore. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's not, you know, that's not how we define this anymore. Um, yeah, because unfor- unfortunately, yeah. you know, we still see a lot of state agencies, like on some forms and on some like processes that mm-hmm. they do. Like, they haven't, they haven't gotten with the times. And you know, if you are out there and you have any power and you're working for a state agency, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. get on that. They're guys. absolutely listening. <laughs> they're they're absolutely. every every last one of them. But <laughs> but you know, with disability etiquette, the most important thing that I feel like is out, it needs to be put out there is we need to understand to give folks dignity of risk. Yeah. And yes. and dignity of risk means that we're going to let people make choices. And those choices aren't always going to be the best choices. Mm-mm. But rather than choose to patronize them and to try to do things for them or talk to them like they're a child, mm-hmm. we're going to allow them if they want to go out and do things um, which are going to have consequences, then we're going to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there is this very um, this very insidious attitude that this idea that like when someone who is at least on the surface because again we don't necessarily know everybody by mm-hmm. looking at them what mm-hmm. they're if they have a disability or not but on the surface do not have one mm-hmm. and they're making really poor choices mm-hmm. such as you know Ren in college um, <laughs> making a series of poor choices you know we just say that a person is making poor choices but then someone with a disability might be making the same choices Again, poor choices that will have consequences, mm-hmm. but we relate that choices to their disability. Yeah. Like, right. well, they wouldn't be making these choices, but they're disabled. Yeah. So that's why these choices are being made. And mm-hmm. it is that really, um, yeah, like treating them like children, like this mm-hmm. very paternalistic, mm-hmm. like, attitude of we have to coddle and help you make decisions yeah. for very gross reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, just part part of living in this world is 
making the bad decisions and learning from it. That's mm-hmm. that's how I learned most of the things that I know. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, everybody deserves to have that same experience. 100%. And, yeah. and we see this throughout all of our, our society. I'd like to think we're moving in that direction with many different um, uh, uh, ways that we are evolving and accepting. Um, you, you look what you got uh, outside of our building and you're going to see a handicapped parking plaque, uh, uh, a sign. You know, the word handicapped parking is ridiculous. Handicapped is, is not a word that should be used ever again. And um, we refer to these, these parking spaces as disabled parking spaces for individuals who are disabled. Or accessible parking. Accessible parking. Accessible parking. Yeah. I think there's also, we kind of we kind of brushed on, like, again, these old terms that are particularly uh, negative. Well, they were negative then, but particularly negative now. There's also sort of soft, so sort of mm-hmm. soft terms. So, like, saying someone is wheelchair-bound, right? Whoa. You know, Ugh. people may not realize that wheelchair-bound is really insulting. Yeah. yeah. Because... What it is is that it's a person who's using a wheelchair. It is a yeah. device they use to be mobile, and it's not the, yes, the bound. Yes, yeah, say, saying bound like automatically places value judgments on their quality of life. Right. Right. Just a way that is certainly not preferred. I think we'll go with that. Like I, I, you know, and I say this as somebody with a disability. I think most people who have disabilities. Like, if you use a wrong term here or there, we're not going to, like, tie you to the stake and set you on fire. Mm-hmm. Like, the most important thing is to make a sincere effort. Yeah. That's that's right. You know, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. When I first started here at DLCV many moons ago, um, I was taking a call from someone on the phone from a facility, and they kept talking about their, their wheelchair, their wheelchair. And I said, is your chair a manual chair or is it an electric wheelchair? And I didn't realize, what I was trying to say is a power-driven wheelchair. Mm -hmm. But I use the word electric because I'm thinking, okay, electric, use electricity batteries. And this person was very, very upset um, because understanding that there were um, times in facilities when many different terrible things were done to individuals, Mm -hmm. including treatment that shocked you. And, and, And so he went to that extreme. I'm not in an electric chair that shocks me. And, and right. I immediately, that was kind of one of my first experiences with disability etiquette. And I apologize. I said, I'm so sorry. Let me, let me take, you know, take mm-hmm. back these words and let's, let's, walk, let's talk through this. So sometimes it is just a matter of listening to people yeah. and understanding mm-hmm. what their preferences are. Some things might be comfortable to some people. Some people might be, some things might be comfortable to others. Yeah. I definitely know a lot of people who have disabilities who prefer person-first language, which is... Um, like saying a person with a disability and I also know a lot of people who you know for their own reasons prefer disability first Mm -hmm. language you know they identify as a disabled person Mm -hmm. so I think it's important just to pay attention to the person you're talking to and whatever terminology they're using that's probably the terminology they prefer and I think another thing kind of connecting this to our previous conversation of disability of risk not disability of risk I pardon myself uh, dignity of risk um, is uh, this idea of helping people because obviously we live in a society we really want to help our fellow man but does that person need your help um, <laughs> does that person want your help mm-hmm. yeah. uh, there is no reason to there's it, it is a disclaimer there's no reason to touch people 
in any circumstance no. without their permission. No, no, no. But it's particularly not okay to dis- to touch disabled people without their permission uh, because of long, ugly histories. But also, you know, again, they're people, yeah. and you need to treat them as such. Uh, another example I kind of thought about, because we kind of talked about pushing the wheelchair, is the service animal. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you cannot pet someone's service animal. It doesn't matter how cute that pupper is. <laughs> you cannot just that, because that is a tool yeah. at that moment that they are using to mm. get about their day. Mm. And it's very disrespectful to to try to impede their life by being like, oh, excuse me, I'd really like to pet your dog. No, it's, it's, it's important. And all these things of removing these barriers and giving people all the breathing room they need to do their life, their life like anybody else. You know, that's what we do when they call in. When they call in, you know, you might have the best of intentions if your Aunt Jo living in Michigan, who's calling in about her, her, her grandson that she's very concerned about. And, and she's worried that, you know, he, he's, he's, in a, he's in a facility and he's not getting the care he needs. And we appreciate Aunt Jo's concern. Mm-hmm. But it's very conceivable that the person who lives in that facility might also be quite content and happy there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just because Aunt Joe wanted him to eat green beans and he chose to eat a pizza, that it's not okay that he's eating the pizza. And right. so, so just give people a choice, you know. Just let them eat their pizza. Yes. Let us eat pizza. And <laughs> <laughs> throw veggies on that if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... This has been a really wonderful discussion. <laughs> I think that we've just cleared it out. We know what a disability is. So we don't need to answer any more questions. We've solved it. Um, but Robert, why don't you, 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 you went over it in the middle. I kind of want to plug it in one more time about um, calling, calling in regarding information and referrals. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So don't hesitate to um, call us at any time or, or find us uh, through our website, um, dlcv.org. You can call us um, at 1-800-552-3962 and uh, reach out to us. If, if, if you need to reach out to us in an alt, another language, if you need to reach out to us uh, through the relay service, if you need to reach out to us through any type of alternate format, yeah. just let us know. And now for some DLCV highlights. In this case study, we will describe a scenario that involved one of our advocates. We got a medical office to provide in-person interpretation for an individual who was deaf and communicates using American Sign Language. The medical office first tried to provide video remote interpretation and did so for the first appointment. The appointment was a total disaster, taking a long time, resulting in much frustration between doctor and patient and leading to a long appointment. The video remote interpretation was choppy, unsteady, and had a poor image, creating difficult communication. As a result of this, DLCV provided the medical office with the requirements under the ADA to provide for effective communication using VRI, and pointed out that the use of VRI in the previous appointment did not meet the standards required by the regulations. As a result, the medical office provided an in-person interpretation for the second appointment. This appointment went quickly, smoothly, and everyone was happy at the conclusion. This is an important reminder that the ADA requirement for auxiliary aids and services requires that they provide effective communication. The ADA does not just require an interpreter. The interpreter must assure that the patient can communicate clearly with the doctor. While technology has great promise in assuring effective communication for people who are deaf, 
Sometimes there is no substitute for an old-fashioned in-person interpreter. There is no one-sized-fit-all accommodation for effective communication, and public accommodations seeking to use VRI must assure that they have a good, steady internet connection to assure a steady image. And when an accommodation does not work, people with disabilities should ask for an accommodation that does work. And this has been your Disability Law Center Highlights. So once again, I really have to thank Robert for coming out and taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, it's such a broad and complicated topic, and we're going to get into a lot of these areas in greater detail in the coming weeks. So make sure that you stay tuned and subscribe so you can listen to all of our podcasts as they come out. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now. Again, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to, as Virginia has already said, subscribe and maybe even leave a review. And if you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at DisabilityLawVA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia Ferris. And I'm Ren Fazuski. And this has been Rights Here, Rights Now. now.